The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, but no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of flesh is flesh, and what is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said what well, that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit, Nicodemus said to him. Now can these, how can these things be? Jesus answered him. Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet do you not receive our testimony? If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man." And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. On Thursday night, this past Thursday, we had uh, a wonderful event here. We had a speaker who was part of our speaker series that we began last year. Um, And this speaker got us thinking about religion and film. And one aspect of her book, which is called Religion and Film, The Basics, It talks about how 
Um, the visual medium, which also includes sound, of course, which is essentially movies, and what we watch on our television screens are ways that we now, in our culture, deal with existential questions. What is life all about? Why do we exist? What is the purpose of my life? We looked at a film uh, called Minari, 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 which is uh, in Korean language, which on the surface is an emotional and loving family drama, a family story, the story of an immigrant family who makes a new life in America and the trials and struggles of that. <clears throat> so why is that film religious? I watched this film and I equated it with the Exodus story, leaving one land for another, and the wandering in the desert, dealing with the issues of this wandering in order to make it in a promised land. See, our struggles and our lives in the stories of our time, the stories that are, be t are being told in our time can be very profound and actually help us understand Scripture. Because Scripture is universal, even though the stories in Scripture describe life with God two millennia ago. We crave stories, and every week, Suzanne and I, we interpret these sacred stories, hopefully in ways uh, that inspire or inform and artists, artists do the same, even though they would say that they aren't trying to be religious. Our struggles with doubt and fear and love and trust, and like I said earlier, our existential questions of why do we exist and how are we supposed to live our lives, it's all there in art. You just have to have the language, and Scripture gives us the language. There's a wonderful uh, series that has been out for a couple of years, and I highly recommend it, and I hope that you all will watch this series. It's called The Chosen. I highly recommend it. It's, um, I think it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, it's, in, it's on some other streaming uh, platforms, but it's called The Chosen. It is the story of Jesus and the disciples. It's actually set in first century Palestine, but what makes this program unique is that the filmmakers and the writers imagined and interpreted much of the interaction that is presented so that the characters, they seem real, like we can identify with them. There's, there's Peter's impetuousness. Matthew, the tax collector, shows signs of autism. Mary Magdalene's life-changing in the presence of Jesus. And one of my absolute favorites is the character of Nicodemus. He is portrayed so beautifully. He is someone who is really searching and seeking a God who isn't fixed a God who can exist in the miracles that he's trying to understand. 
Nicodemus is open to the impossible and, and really struggles to exist outside of the um, Pharisaic boundaries that he is called to preserve. He's very emotional, he's likable, and he's a completely, totally relatable, relatable character. I have always had a real soft spot for Nicodemus because here we have a religious leader. He's, he's a Pharisee, and remember, Pharisees are the ones who are entrusted with the, with the law. And the laws were a religious centering around a holy covenant with God. There was no separation from the Jewish culture in terms of religion and life. So Pharisees were very strict about enforcement. And if you did not live by the religious law as a Jew, you were shunned, you were cast away, which was basically death. Because to be cast away, remember, in a desert community, away from resources and your family, it is not a good thing. You had to adhere to the culture of your people. So the gospel says that Nicodemus, he came by night. Now, he must have made an appointment, or he was following Jesus in the shadows until he found his opportunity to ask the questions that were on his heart. Now, Nicodemus knows that to be casually chatting with Jesus in the daylight would probably ruin his reputation, and it could bring more attention, negative attention, to Jesus where he might be harmed. So he makes the effort to approach Jesus at night in secret. Now, I remember a time, and maybe you can too in your lives, when you did the exact same thing. As a young adult, and you know this story, I've told it before, I wasn't always a believing Christian. And years ago, I was inadvertently signed up for a basic Christianity class at a, at a parish around the corner from my office at the time. And the class was at 6 p.m. And I was working in the entertainment business where, you know, you didn't work 9 to 5. You worked until 7 or 8 or as late as you had to until you got stuff done. And I was in a quandary. You see, I wasn't a believer, but I was curious about Christianity because something was pulling me to go to this class. So I was curious about Christianity and a seeker of something. I was a seeker of something. I didn't know what. And I was needing something spiritual in my life that made sense. And, and Christianity, boy, did not make any sense to me at all. But I was intrigued. So how was I going to get to that 6 p.m. class? Now, I couldn't tell my coworkers that I had to leave early to get to a basic Christianity class at a church around the corner. Because if I did, I would be cast away from the purportedly cool, enlightened people who didn't need religion, which was pretty much my entire office. I was ashamed. I was scared. I was like, oh, I can't tell them where I'm going. I didn't want pe people to think I was weird because that was my vision of Christians back then. Oh, they were just strange, and they believed in stuff that didn't make sense, and they were way too judgmental. In my mind, I had to come up with a ruse on uh, why I had to leave early. 
I had to sneak away. I had to find a shadowy way to get to Jesus because I was in a dark place. And like Nicodemus, I, I had some hard questions. So I believe I produced some sort of alternative fact as to why I had to leave early so I could make it to this class. In other words, I lied. I lied. And this class was like six weeks long, and I ended up lying for six weeks, uh, finding some sort of reason why I, I had to leave the office by 5.30. It's important to note, <coughs> excuse me, that Nicodemus seems to believe that Jesus has come from God and is not a charlatan, because he says, no one could have performed all the signs that you did. You know, all that healing and such, apart from being in the presence of God. Nicodemus knows that Jesus is in the presence of God, but it doesn't quite square with the culture. What Jesus is doing doesn't fit with what the Pharisees would even imagine. Yet, Nicodemus's imagination is somehow touched by Jesus. But when Jesus tells him that, <clears throat> that you can't see the kingdom of God, and <clears throat> excuse me, unless, I, I have to take a drink, sorry. Okay, Jesus tells him that you can't see the kingdom of God unless you are basically born again, because that is what Jesus is talking about here, conversion, renewal. Nicodemus asks what appears to be kind of an overly simplistic, too literal question for a man whom you would think would be a bit more spiritual and enlightened. How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into a mother's womb and be born? I mean, I feel bad for the guy, you know? I mean, are you really asking that question? And the answer is yes. He's really asking that question. And you know what? When it comes to seeking God and understanding who God is, remember this. There are no stupid questions ever. God meets us where we are. And as a church, we must embrace seeking, not just our own, but to especially be open to the seeking of others. We all have questions and we all have doubts, and if we have it all figured out or think we have it all figured out, that is when we are closed to God doing something new. This here, this church, this space, is where people can come to seek. We don't know it all. Our formation never stops. And I can remember in that basic Christianity class that I made it to in my cloak and dagger way, skirting my peers in the shadows, coming to Jesus by night, sitting there with my arms crossed like this over my chest, daring the priest, daring the priest to answer my question, what is God anyway? Answer that question, I dare you, in a satisfactory way so that I might, I might, I'm not saying I will, but I might come back. And she did, apparently. Apparently, I mean, look what happened. Or rather, I should say that the Holy Spirit 
God's presence was there helping her to articulate and me to make sense of my seeking. We don't know who is going to be a catalyst, who or what we will encounter that brings us into presence, God with us. So, in our quest to be disciples, because that is really what formation is all about, learning how to be disciples, we have to seek the light, even if it means starting out in the shadows of night, knowing that in God's presence there are truly, truly no stupid questions, that God will meet us where we are. We must first put our faith in or imagine or pray that we will believe that God is real. We have to put our trust in the, I'll say, fact that God is real and is an agent in our lives. That is the leap of faith. That is the first leap of faith, that we are constantly surrounded by God's presence. And the more we seek the light, the more we will be open to encountering God's presence to be willing to be in the presence and see the presence of God, more able to make sense of belief and understanding to our questions. Jesus draws us out from the shadows. To be enlightened doesn't mean we know it all. It means that we live into the truth of who we are supposed to be, to live in the light. And you know it. You know it when you meet someone and you don't really know what it is, but they have something. They have a presence. Most likely, it's that they are living and expressing their lives in a truthful way. They aren't hiding behind some alter ego. They aren't pretending to be someone they're not. Living in truth is living in the presence of the Holy One. How do you think Jesus was able to call out to Peter and James and John, hey, drop everything you're doing and follow me? And you know what? They did. They dropped their nets. They followed him. Made absolutely no sense at all. But like Nicodemus, their imaginations were piqued by the presence they saw and felt in Jesus. And we too, we wouldn't be here. None of us would be here if our imaginations weren't piqued by the presence of Jesus. Whether we are sitting here with our arms crossed like this saying, yeah, I dare you. Tell me about who this Jesus is and you better say it in a way so that I come back. I leave it up to the Holy Spirit to enlighten all of us so that we can recognize the presence of God in our everyday encounters because no matter where we are, on our spiritual journey, the earthly pilgrimage that we are all on, ultimately we must always make the effort to see the light, even if it defies our cultural context, and more importantly, begin to see that light in the culture all around us. See what you see when you go to the movies next time. Remember, from the transfiguration story two weeks ago that enlightenment is not just about sitting up there on a mountaintop feeling euphoria it's about what we do when we come down from the mountain as well 
When we encounter the presence of God, our imaginations are peaked and we are no longer the same. Sorry to tell you that. In the lesson from Genesis, which is the part where God says to Abram, you will be the father of the nations, the patriarch of the world, of all humankind, and you will in essence be a human catalyst for imagining God's presence to everyone everyone. That is the gift of the Israelites to the world. The scripture doesn't say that Abram, Abram, who later became Abraham, pushes back. He doesn't say, well, God, how am I supposed to do that? He doesn't hesitate or stop to try to figure out how he was going to do all of this. The scripture says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. He just went forward went forward. Seeking the light means activating our imaginations to what can be. And I'm not going to leave Paul out because that was a great reading from Romans. Paul picks this up in Romans where he says, we are to have faith in a God who calls into existence the things that do not exist a God who calls into existence the things that do not exist. And I would add, yet. I know it's Lent, but alleluia to that. I didn't say alleluia. You didn't hear me say it. Okay. That is a breath of fresh air. That is hope. Believing this is being born in the Spirit and living in the Spirit. A God who calls into existence the things that do not exist. Nicodemus may not understand it all, but Nicodemus returns a few times in the Gospel of John, so maybe he keeps seeking. After all, Christianity is not a club. It is open to all who seek. And as disciples, our thoughts, our ways of life, our cultural beliefs will be challenged sometimes, no question. But Jesus tells us that the only way to live in the presence of God, to be living in the truth of our being, and to reflect the presence of God in the world is for each and every one of us to be made new over and over and over again, through the work of the Holy Spirit. Nicodemus had a lot to think about after meeting Jesus. And so this time in Lent, I invite you to remember that we have a lot to think about after meeting Jesus as well. Amen.